Hey guys, Robbie Singh, head instructor of Grace Jiu Jitsu Burwood. Um, I have taken the opportunity to use the time that we have available to us to start a podcast from here called Talking Jits with Robbie Singh. So every week we're going to have somebody come on who's associated to Jitsu. It might be an instructor from an academy, it might be a competitor, it might be an everyday person who I've heard has had a great connection to Jiu Jitsu and I want to take the time to speak to them and get their story. So it's a bunch of people sitting around talking about Jits and I hope you enjoy it. Today we have Huron Gracie, member of the famous Gracie family and head instructor and owner with his brother Hannah Gracie of Gracie University, the physical location in Torrance, uh, California, and the website, which is the first website in Jiu-Jitsu to really formulate uh, a curriculum from white to black belt in sequence of order of operations of what you need to learn to really develop the depth that you want in your jiu-jitsu. Um, it's a great opportunity to speak to somebody who um, has been so close close to the source of jiu-jitsu for so many years in his grandfather, Elio Gracie, and his uncles, you know, Hoyce and Hickson, and also spending time with his dad learning the art, Horion Gracie. So it's an in-depth conversation focusing on a lot of different topics and I just want you to sit back and get to enjoy absorbing some of the jiu-jitsu knowledge that Huron has to share. I just want to kind of like start by saying thank you for coming on. Um, during this time when people are kind of stuck in their house and um, you know, there's not a lot going on, there's no sports entertainment on for them to kind of go to and that. Um, people are looking for new things, ways to kind of entertain themselves as they're going through. And a lot of people are turning to podcasts and, you know, learning resources and so forth. So to have this opportunity to talk with you and give our students, you know, something to listen to that's going to keep them connected to jujitsu, um, you know, is important for me. And I think this type of thing where we get to converse about jujitsu and talk about it, it gives people a different understanding that jujitsu isn't just the rolling on the mat or the moves that are going through, but there's more ways to stay connected to it. And I guess my first question was for you was, how do you think people can stay connected to jujitsu um, without having to actually go through the physical motion of getting with another person and training? Yeah, well, you just said it. You said us being able to converse like this. Mm. And two jujitsu students, two blue belts, two white belts, can have a discussion about jujitsu. Yeah. Now, obviously, when you are learning jujitsu, you want to do and you want to be on the mat and feel the techniques more than you want to talk about them. Mm. But having grown up in my family to where we spend so much time doing jujitsu techniques, right? With my grandfather as kids, when he would come from Brazil, he would spend, you know, three weeks or a month and a half in Los Angeles. And we would do a lot of jujitsu and with my father, of course, and my uncles and especially with Hoyce. And then mm. there would be times where we just did an hour and a half of jujitsu or four hours on a busy day and we're teaching in classes and we're young kids and we come home and now we're eating and we're still talking off the mat. We're jujitsu 90% of the time. Yeah. So it's very natural for us to talk about jujitsu because mm. it's our business. It's our passion, right? It's the, the, our legacy. You could say it's everybody in the whole family does it. So can two students that are blue belts get on the phone and have a discussion about, you know, how it was for them before they started jujitsu and what the feelings mm. were before they came onto the mat. And then if they can discuss that for 20, 30 minutes, now they have a better understanding of how people who walk into your school on their first day might be feeling so then they can be, you know, who knows, a little more, uh, a little more empathetic, a little more aware of what that person is going through, which will help that student that the blue belt, our blue belts, you know, be the best possible training partners. Yeah. That's really interesting. Walking on day one. We were, I was talking with one of my, um, my purple belts and uh, Daryl was talking to me about, uh, a poster he'd seen from Tom DeBlas where he was talking about um, regret or, or reflecting on his time as say, at, say, Purple Belt. And he was wondering, like, at Purple Belt, how many people did I uh, cause to quit jiu-jitsu because I didn't take into account their 
um, interaction on the map because I was just about me and my training yeah. and going through. Yeah, it's so really We talked about that very briefly during the live webinar on Saturday. I mm. think I mentioned very briefly how, you know, if you're somebody who's very athletic and you're very strong and you can just, you know, muscle your way out of stuff, if you just throw everybody off of you all the time and you just bust past people's guards and throw people off the side mount, especially those that are smaller, yeah. you're kind of helping them. Not that you shouldn't do that, but mm. be aware that your actions, that person that's getting thrown off the side mount every day for two weeks, four weeks, two months, they're going to end up telling themselves, man, I can't figure this out. You know, I don't know if I can ever learn this. I'm, I'm good enough. They don't realize that they're getting better every time because mm. they're only seeing the end result. Mm. It's that they're getting thrown off the side mount, even though the first time they were thrown off in two seconds and now it takes 20 seconds. It, it doesn't matter because they just can't control the side mount. So we were talking about this the other day with submissions where like somebody's like, Oh, this person keeps catching me. And I was like, but when I was walking and I watched it last time they caught you with an armbar, the second time they caught you was with a choke because you defended the armbar so well. Like you actually did get better in that role. Right. Yeah. Yes. You got to find the small victories. Yeah. And um, last time uh, I was in LA for the ICP, um, I was there with some of our female instructors for the WE ICP and you rolled with one of my blue belts and Ali was saying um, how it was such a great experience because while she was rolling with you, she'd do something and you know, she'd feel like it was an error in the role. And then you'd actually stop her, um, go, hey, try this out, and then find that position again. And then she recognized that as the role was going, you'd get her back to that position to see how she responded to it. And she, was, she found it such an enjoyable experience because she got to practice being in that position again and you know, trying the, the feedback that you had given. Yes. Um, yes. And there's I almost like this. Uh, I guided her right back to it two, three, four times. Yes, I do that often. I'm glad she enjoyed it. Yeah, she found such an enjoyable experience. And, you know, I almost feel like the way I came up was like, if I was was guided, if somebody gave me information, it was almost like that, that would never have happened because it was like, that, that's the secret. And I don't want to share with you the secret of what happened to you because then you're going to be able to get out of it next time. Mm -hmm. um, and it felt like there was no fear in sharing technique with somebody in that part. Um, and that was, I think, something that was different. Yes. And she's a blue belt, mm. right? So you, one would argue that I wouldn't share that with another black belt. A blue belt might make sense to share it with, but mm. that's not even true. If I can even show a black belt how I'm escaping their mount or how I'm avoiding their arm lock from the guard, I will even show them. Yeah. Because... Again, everybody, when I sharpen that black belt and now it makes them a little more deadly with that arm lock or, or their mount control, it's going to come back to me mm. in, in many ways. One, because they're going to be better. And two, because I can see the gratitude, mm. right? They're going to be better, therefore more challenging for me. But two, they're grateful. And what feels better than, than giving and helping people? Well, I think like that was um, when I was just over a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the biggest things I came back talking about was like our private lesson it was like how the night before we were rolling and you caught me in the cross choke so many times from the mount and then you went through and you like dissected the, the cross choke for me and its defenses and I just came back and like I'm like cross choke everybody like this is the cross choke let's play with the cross choke and like everybody could feel it like there was this like um there was this inspiration and and uh, like you said gratitude for like wanting to, to play with those techniques that, that was taught um, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's really, it, it's almost, like I used to think of it as like a selfish thing. Like I want to share the information with you so that you get better at defending so that I get better at doing the technique. There is no doubt that my cross chokes have from, from white to black belt, they were X good. They have more than doubled mm. in effectiveness from black belt till today. I've been a black belt for 15 years. Mm. In these last 15 years, there has been more growth than up to black belt in simply cross chokes. Yeah. And if I don't, if I, the more I show you, the more what you just said, the more aware you are of my, my attack sequences and my, you know, my techniques. Mm. Now, once you're aware of them, if we roll in six months or in a year, you're going to stop me. It's going to force me to be more creative.
Mm. And like it's, and that's that's how growth happens, right? Yes. Like, but if you take away those those um, parameters to grow, all you do is the same thing, and you might feel like a map king, you know, like at your school. But really, like how well are you developing in your overall jujitsu? Yes, I love it. It's true. Um, I was thinking about uh, I'd seen a post a while ago from you. This is probably about like, two years ago, actually now. Um, and actually, no, it wasn't a post. We were in the change rooms at the academy, um, and you had your belt, and you just asked a simple question. You held it up, and you go, who washes their belt? And then you just got a few answers, but then it didn't continue. And I was always wondering, like, what was Hiron's answer? Like, does he wash his belt? Or, like, what's the, the going? And then I was thinking about, at the moment, with the, you know, the virus that's kind of going around the way that we're talking about it, our, um, our belts are very much a... a a transmission device, right, for different kinds of uh, germs that we carry. So, you know, what what were your thoughts on this idea of wash the belt, don't wash the belt? I don't think the belt is as dirty as our hands. Mm. Right? So the belt is around our waist, and mm. people might grab it here or there, mm. but I feel like i much rather put someone's belt in my mouth than someone's hand. Yeah. while we're training yeah that's really right because the hand is the one that's why washing our hands and not touching our face is so important yeah the hand is what touches every the doorknobs yeah right of the world <laughs> to, into a bathroom out of the bathroom in your house everything is the the, the hand and um the bacterias and the viruses that the hands carry so yeah, I was asking that question simply because I see people's belts that are obviously washed. Yeah. And then I see some people that never wash their belts. And I've never washed my belt. Yeah. I might like spray some vinegar water on my belt. Yeah. Vinegar is very alkalining, but I was just having fun because some something was probably I saw something in the room. Yeah. And it brought my attention to the belt. Yeah. I feel like um I do that a lot of times as well, where I like throw out a comment. And then I'll forget to kind of like go through to people about why, like what was playing on my mind. And so people yeah. will come back to me like a day later. And I was like, you said something. And so you were intrigued by it. But like, what, what was the reason for it? And I was like, I don't even remember. Like it was just something I threw out in the moment because it was, it was interesting to me. Yeah. So even the question like, you know, like my, I've had like maybe I've given away like, I don't know, three or four black belts of mine or geese. Yeah. More geese. Sometimes I'll go to a seminar and I've given my belt to the school because the last one was in Michigan this last, uh, maybe October. Mm. They had like a pole with belts tied around it. All the students who get their belts, new oh. belts, they tie their old belts on this pole, like as if it's around someone's waist. Yeah. So I tied mine there. I left it there. And th there's a lot of, I'm also guilty of this because I'm someone who I have, I, I kind of keep things. I'm a, I'm not a hoarder, but things that I believe have sentimental value, I, mm. I hold them, a small amount of things. Yeah. And I can imagine people being that way about their jujitsu belt. Mm. And obviously it helps that I have the ability to get another belt, another yeah. black belt, which everybody does, I guess, right? Everybody can get another belt from a store yeah. or wear multiple belts. But just the, the value of the belt it is a piece of cloth. It represents something. Yeah. But the actual value of that belt means very little or the value of, I have an American flag in my garage mm. that was a gift to me. That, that value of that flag is the same as the value of my belt. It's just fabric in yeah. terms of my monetary value. Now the flag stands for something. It represents something. So I, I, I try my best to kind of not get too caught up in what it represents because mm. the black belt represents what years and years and years and years of, you know, dedication and blood, sweat and tears and yeah. sacrificing time from family, all these things. And so, and the American flag means so much, yeah. but if I see, you know, an American flag being ripped down from the side of my house, I don't tie that to, you know, our country being attacked or somebody yeah. attacking me. I tie it to, okay, I'm going to get a new flag. Yeah. You know what I mean? This person is ripping down my flag. Man, it's, it's a little annoying, but I'm going to go buy a flag for $19 or $9. Yeah. I'm going to hang a new flag up. 
So the, the, the value of the belt is, is very little. Yes, yeah, so interesting. Uh, I had an experience for myself where um, this is when I was doing karate and I had never washed my, my black belt and I had had it for so long and it was wearing out and it was going through. And one day I came home and I saw it sitting on the washing line and, and I, I freaked out. I was like, oh no, what has happened? And my dad goes, what's the matter, man? Like you look stressed. And I was like, my belt, it's, it's on the washing line. What happened? And he's like, I, I saw your dirty gi in your bag. And so I washed all the stuff in your, your bag for you. And I was like, no, no, you don't wash it. And then I, like, I sat for a second. And I was like, hold on, wait. Like my dad was trying to help me. He was trying to do something so I could get to training easier. He was trying to lighten my load a little bit. I was actually, uh, and then the whole uh, mystique around the belt, the belt, you know, don't wash it, it disappeared. And it You're became right. like a, a non-event for me anymore. I've never washed my belt. But if one day I come home and it's washed and it's smelling all nice and good, it's no problem. Yeah. yeah. It's not for me to do. Yeah, yeah. And it's such an interesting thing that we place these values um, all these like ways of measuring like uh, our successes or things on things that really don't always have a lot of value in the end. Um, and I think that was a moment for me where I got to transition my thought on my progress or my ability or that is something external into something where it's intrinsic. Like it's, it's my own value on myself and I value my technique. Um, and it was such an interesting, I think I was like 19 or 20 at the time when it happened. And like, it was such a, like, I felt like I was very young in my development, but it was a very mature standpoint. And that kind of changed the way I viewed my training and myself. Yeah. So I'm like, it's not about other people's view on me. It's like, do I feel good about this? Like, do I have the technique down? Um, and I was wondering, like, did you ever have to go through that transition of going from like almost feeling like jujitsu was somebody else's thing? like your dad's or your brother's or your uncle's and that. And then you realize, I know actually this is part of me and I'm actually good at it. Um, I, I don't know if I felt like it was somebody else's. Mm. Like, but I did, there was a time where I realized that it is mine. Mm. So before that time, I wasn't saying, oh man, these guys are so good and they got it and they own it. It's, it's, they live it, they breathe it. No, no. Mm. I, all I could think about was myself. Yeah. And I had struggles around jujitsu, right? And I, I had lacked confidence and I had my grandfather always reminding me that, you know, I had no idea what I was capable of. Mm. And he always spoke to my potential, which was very um appreciated right it's very special to have a grandfather who believes so much in me more than i believed in myself at the time mm. so but there you're right there was a time an age of who knows 22 years old or 21 i got my blackboard at 21 years old so it's right around that time yeah. where i don't know if it was because of if the, getting the black belt helped but I just know that there was a time in my life where I would almost fear people asking me questions about jujitsu mm. in terms of positions and techniques. But today I like, I drool at the mouth for a question yeah. that, and, and, and if a question comes that I don't quite have the technical answer for, which is very possible. Mm. I have really enjoyed just saying out loud to a group of 65 people, I don't know what to do. Mm. And, and that's how jujitsu I am because I can even acknowledge in a moment that right, you know, right now, I don't have an answer for you right now. And then in the moment I can get into the position and I give myself permission to feel my way through the question, the situation. Mm. And so I guess what that tells me is that I, I actually do have the answer, but I don't have the answer to be able to articulate it to you with words. The answer is inside of me, right? The answer is way deeper than me being able to explain it to you. So, but when you get me there, I'm going to find my way out. And this has proven to be true in so many sparring sessions with mm. people from all around the world, you know, to jujitsu instructors, to professional athletes, MMA fighters, it doesn't matter. The, the answers, they come out of me mm. because 
I have a certain understanding of the principles, the key principles of jujitsu, which allow me to almost at any moment formulate an answer. You guys changed my, like yourself and your brother. I was one day uh, at ICP and you guys said a statement that was, uh, it was, there's 36 techniques in the combatives program. And if you only view them as 36 techniques, you have 36 moves. But if you look at them as 36 principles, you have 36 principles for unlimited positions and resources that you um, will find yourself in. And I was like, what? (laughs) There's exponential ability to use these techniques. And it was that situation where it went from the moves to the mindset. And it was such a thing for like, I, like I came to you guys as a, uh, like a black belt. I literally got my black belt the week I met Hannah and then started going through the ICP. Um, and so for me, it was, it was a real eye opener of like, people always say like, you, you get your black belt and then you realize you don't understand anything. Um, and I already felt like a fraud as it was getting my black belt. Like, I don't actually deserve this. Well, you know, you have that m- mindset. And I came and you guys and I was like, no, I don't know anything. Like I really need to learn how to understand this. Because everything had been moves up until that point. Like, here's a move. Here's a, there was never a why or what's the guiding principle. And that's something you guys do so well. Now, you, you do acknowledge, though, that you getting your black belt was very important. And there's a certain level of, I guess, understanding mm. that helps there are some things that we might talk about, even you and I, because you've been now around for a while in terms of principles and, you know, different mindsets. There are certain things that if we talk about and you're a blue belt, not that you can't understand them and apply them, but being more experienced, having more years on the mat, mm. you're going to take what we're saying and you'll take it and run with it and you'll go further with it. Yeah. Even if you're a brown belt, even being a purple belt or a brown belt, there are certain conversations that that brown belt will absorb more than a, than a, a new white belt or a blue belt, let's say. Yeah. That's an interesting, actually. Like, how do you find that, that your words hold a lot of value to people? Right? Because You're saying why do they? No, not why, but how does, that, how does that impact you and the way you interact with people? Because I know, like I've said to you in the past, um, I remember like uh, a couple of years ago, I came up to you and I was like, hey, last time I was here a year ago, you said this, this statement to me um, and it's been on my mind for like a year. Did I upset you? And you're like, dude, like how would, how would you upset me in that interaction? Like I said that for you to take away and think about uh, to, to grow from that situation. I remember it was something like uh, uh, we, uh, we had finished rolling and um, you had said to me, um, the way you went about that wasn't jujitsu. And then I didn't elaborate on it anymore. And then we changed partners. And I was like, Huron says, I don't know how to do jujitsu. And it was like a year. I was like, oh, no, I embarrassed myself in front of Huron. And I came back yeah. to you a year later and, and said to you, like, Huron, like, what did you mean by that? And you're like, it was a year ago, dude. Like, I don't remember that. Right? Well, what we mean is that there's a jujitsu way. Because if, mm. we, if we define jujitsu, Jiu-jitsu is, it is aggression. It is explosiveness, mm. right? And it is, you know, power and mm. speed. Jiu-jitsu is those things. But at the deeper core, jiu-jitsu is patience. Jiu-jitsu mm. is timing. Mm. And the re- jiu-jitsu is efficiency and sustainability. So because those are the things, jiu-jitsu is all of those things. But we have to be be very um very clear that there there's a bigger part of jiu-jitsu which is that efficiency which is that leverage so the way you did that wasn't jiu-jitsu it wasn't the jiu-jitsu way yeah maybe that wasn't even an accurate statement because maybe you exploded your way out of my guard Mm. that is part of jiu-jitsu but I was a little bit more trying to probably touch on the sustainability and the efficiency yeah. of jujitsu, which that was maybe I, that's what most people lack. Yeah, and I guess like that—that's—that's that's the point that I was coming to. Like you—you you meant that in a way that was meant to be taken like this, but you know, to to certain people, your words hold so much 
um, yes. to them. And like, how do you, how do you manage that? Because that's a, that's a lot well, to, to carry with. You're right. It is true that sometimes I say, and I do things from the place that I'm in, I'm in a place of, mm. you know, high energy and excitement. Yeah. And I just say and do something. And the person that is on the receiving end might not be in the best place. Yeah. So then they interpret what I said, maybe as, you know, he don't said I'm not good. Yeah. And then it, it, it very much, and then they carry that, not for two days, 10 days, five days, but for, you know, a year like you did. Yeah. So I guess the most important thing, so people have to understand that when I'm doing jujitsu, it's true, I'm a teacher, I'm the instructor, and there's a certain level of presence that is required from me and maturity in how I speak to people. But sometimes um, there, there's an energy flowing in me, especially because I spar so much and I train. Yeah. And I, if I was just teaching and talking, then I might be somewhat removed. Mm. But because I'm out there sparring, like rolling for 30 minutes, an hour straight sometimes, things can be said from within the feelings that I'm having from my own role. Yeah. And the fact that you were just choking me and you were kind of grinding my face and I'm in the battle. So I might speak from that place. Yeah. So I almost ask people that when I say something to come to me and to clarify, Hey, this is what you said. What did you mean by that? Yeah. Especially if what you took is affecting your peace. Yeah. I'm not saying it's affecting your peace too much, but I'm sure you did have it on your mind for a while. That's why I brought it up so, a year later with you. <laughs> so, but if it's affecting you in the sense that like maybe you don't want to come to my class mm. or you feel uncomfortable around me, it, it doesn't hurt to clarify, hey, you know, you said this. Yeah. You know, it, it's, can you clarify what you meant by that? And then mm. I can clarify it and you can say, oh, wow, okay. Mm. So I can, we can still be friends. I can still show up at the beach when you're there and go over and say hi to you. Yeah. It's still safe. Yeah. Um, Real quick though, what you said is how do I carry that and how do I feel? I feel sometimes you're right. It does feel a little bit heavy. Mm. It could be, you could be a little scary almost. Yeah. Right. I've had things that I wanted to say before on social media or just in the world, but I don't say it because it's what I'm feeling. And sometimes I don't care about, the repercussions of what I say, because it's what I'm feeling in that moment. And it's what I believe to be true. And even though it's the truth, sometimes it's better to hold on a statement. Yeah. Right. Like my grandfather, for example, was sometimes he was very fast to pull the trigger. He would feel something and he would say it. And sometimes his comments would have, you know, they would hurt other people. His words had power. Now the the bigger message that he sent inspired the world and, and changed the world and empowered the world. Yeah. But everybody's a human being, and it's easy to forget that Andy Gracie is a human being, mm. or that I, for example, if I say or do something, all of a sudden everyone's in shock, and it just it, it travels so far that he don't say something so inconsiderate or mm. so insensitive. But hold on, people say insensitive things. Yeah, and if I say something that's insensitive. Talk to me about it. Say, hey, you know, that, that didn't really make sense. That didn't make me feel comfortable what you said. And then I can say, you know what? That makes sense that you didn't feel comfortable. I wasn't even thinking about that. And I apologize. Done. Problem solved. I, I, I had a situation once where I was in class and I was teaching. And I said something, a statement. Um, and it was something like, if you, if you can't do this, then you can't get out of that situation with this technique but I didn't elaborate that there's, there's other ways to get out of the situation. This is actually during a women empowered class. Right. And um, one of the women came up to me and she said, the way that you word that made it sound like that, you know, if you can't do this technique, then you're, you're, you're stuck. Like you don't have the ability to get out. And I was like, Oh, thank you for sharing that with me. Cause if you took it like that, at least three other people in the room took it like yeah. that right now. So I like stopped the class and brought everybody in and re told my situation. But if she had never had the comfort to come up and say that to me, I feel like I could have left that class with people having a false sense of um, what I meant. So like building yes. that comfort in your school for your students to be able to have that conversation with you and, and feel comfortable approaching you to say that, um, you know, is such an important thing. I think you, you guys do that so well in 
not just yourself and Hiram, but the way you've, sorry, yourself and Hannah, but the way that you've allowed all the black belt instructors at your school, all the instructors in general, um, have a connection with the students that leads to a sense of comfort where I never see boundaries being crossed, but I see respect, mutual respect between the students and the teachers where they feel comfortable having that conversation. Yes. Yes, that's really cool right. to see. Before you were saying jujitsu is explosive and there is an element of explosiveness and aggression to it. And one of the questions that uh, one of my students had asked is, where do you see the need for competition in developing somebody's art? So do you think it's a prerequisite to compete, to be able to develop your own art? Yeah, I compete all the time, right? Um, and right i compete every day i step on the mat and i feel so like glad sparring. you answered it like that All right. when i spar i'm competing right and how much i expect from myself and how much you know resistance my training partner is giving me it will decide the the level of the competition yeah. but you know henna and i sparring for 10 minutes that is a competition yeah now does the competition, like the sport, like going to an actual event, have some different elements than you can experience in the gym? Yes. There's a certain uh, unknown of who you're competing against. Mm. And there are spectators. Mm. And it's not, it's a new environment. So I feel like that value is like 20, 30% mm. of the competition value. The, the bigger value is the resistance level. Yeah right the resistance the pressure also when you go to competition the actual pressure that you're competing against somebody from a different school a different country different city there's there's us versus them type mindset even though we're all on the same team yeah. because we're all jujitsu no we're all human beings yeah. <laughs> and we're all playing a game to sharpen each other's swords yeah so but when it comes to actual training in the gym let's not forget how much that does for us yeah in terms of preparing us and, and really helping us grow in this art so i would not suggest students competing in actual tournaments until they're like purple brown belts yeah there's no hurry and even when you do it you almost you have to have a certain mindset to do it especially if you're training with myself mm. because I personally have done competitions with 10 minute time limits mm. or eight minutes. And I have, you know, I have won a couple and I have also lost by three, four, seven points. And if someone's understanding of jujitsu is not solid, let's say it's a, a white belt or a new blue belt, mm. they go and they compete and they lose by seven points they walk away feeling like what they've been doing is not enough. Mm. Meaning the way that they've been training to be very defense focused because the core is our defense. Yeah. Elio Gracie said, those that do not lose can only, like, uh, if you do not lose, you can only win. Yeah. So the core is the defense, but a, a new student, there's a tournament, loses by seven points, other person gets their hand raised and now they feel like, ah, oh, I got to train differently. Yeah. And differently means more explosive. Differently means stronger, harder, faster, go, 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 go mindset, which don't get me wrong. That training will help them in the next competition, but that training is not sustainable. And let's say that they're 33 years old, you know, three, four, five, six years later, they're now, they're nine, 39 years old. And now they roll the kid who's 23 years old and they go, 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 but that's not going to help them against that 23-year-old purple belt. Yeah. They're going to have to fall back on the core of jiu-jitsu, which is survival and leverage and timing and technique. So competition, once the mindset is understood, once it's clear and you own, once you, you, once you live, once you own that survival element of jiu-jitsu, then go play. Yeah. Um, you, you've gone and you've like competed on, on like a high level. Like one of my favorite teams to watch is you versus Andre Galvea. Like, I think I watch that probably like once every six months. So I'll put that on and, you know, jump hey, on that. Name? Uh, Andre Galvea. Galvão. Galvão. <laughs> 
Um, so when, when, like when I see you going and doing that, there's like a level of fearlessness that I see in yourself and, and like in Hannah and just the way you guys approach things in yeah. general. Right. Um, and I was wondering like, where, where does that come from? Like, is that a, a level of confidence? Is it just a, uh, understanding of like, you understand what actually to measure, to measure success with and Yeah. So in, in terms of actual training with people, cause this applies to all of life, right? Mm. This fearlessness could apply to many areas of your life. So in terms of actually sparring with somebody or competing with somebody who's very, you know, recognize let's say or a, prof or an, a fighter let's say a professional fighter comes into the gym and wants to train so our whole lives our grandfather and our father our uncles they always gave us the opportunity to train with people that had more experienced more experience and they they purposely put us in these inferior positions and they would really just have us be under constant fire yeah to where it got to a point when we were 19, 20, 22 years old, where even younger sometimes, even younger, actually, so, so, let me correct that, even 16 years old, 17, 18, where we would be underneath black belts and we're purple belts and they could not defeat us. Mm. We could survive them for 10 minutes. So it gets to a point where right now, for example, there is less fear and there is more curiosity mm. when I'm going to roll with somebody who's very experienced. Yeah. And the curiosity is possible because of the understanding that I have, the confidence that I have in the application of my defensive strategies. But the curiosity is also possible because I know, I honestly believe that if I lose, it's not because I'm not good, because I'm a bad person, because jujitsu is bad. If I lose, it's because that person outsmarted me. Mm. It's because they had better jujitsu in that moment. I don't take my loss personal as a sign of, you know, one of my a deficiency. Mm. I take that as almost like, okay, whew, look what they did to me. It's an opportunity for me to then look back at myself mm. and make an adjustment and then continue to move forward. So I tell a story of um, my cousin, Kron. We were training together and this was years ago before Andre Galvon's match. And he said, he don't, I, I actually let Kron mount on me. And he said, he don't, you know, don't let, uh, don't let Andre mount on you in the match. And then I said, why not? He said, because the, the intensity of the attack, the, the energy is, is much greater. And if you can avoid an, an inferior position like that, you should. And I actually agree that in general, when you're in a fight for your life, you don't mm -hmm. want to let somebody side mount you in a street fight. Yeah. If they side mount you, we have the answers. And Krohn is a, a bigger competitor yeah. than I am at his heart, right? He's a UFC fighter. He's a professional athlete. You could say that I was a professional athlete a couple of times, but that is his, that's what he's, that's his focus right now. So he said, don't let him mount you. And I, and I said, Crone, can you duplicate that training intensity mm. that can you duplicate the intensity that I might experience against Andre? And then he said, yes. So I had him mount me and he attacked for maybe four minutes, mm. which is a very long time for me not to escape. I was, I didn't have any escape attempts. Yeah. So four minutes of nonstop attack and I defended everything successfully. Zero. If I would have tried to escape, I could have potentially exposed myself more, but mm. full awareness and defense and I neutralized his attacks. And then he sat up and he said, okay, you can let Andre Galvon mount you. <laughs> and so experiences like that. Yeah. So now I'm like, man, what can Andre Galvon possibly offer yeah. from the top of the mount? Or if I'm in his guard 
or when he side mounts me. The, the way that someone like Andre Galvon beats you is in transition, is yeah. when, I be, in, when I behave um, impatiently, yeah. right? Which is what happened when I fought Josh Barnett. I did a very like random movement yeah. in terms of trying to escape and I got caught in a footlock. Yeah. Right, he beat me, but I beat me too. I was, yeah. I'm like, oh, look at me, because I, I even felt in my mind, I was like, okay, I gotta go now because my mindset was off. I paid for it, mm. but my mindset wasn't off when when Andre mounted me, and it was such a fast period, such a fast moment. But the point is that that's it's not a it's a fe- I don't know if I like the word fearlessness. Mm. I like the word I like confidence in what I know and curious, and that mm. curiosity comes because. I have not subscribed to the lie. The lie is that we want to defeat people and avoid defeat when grappling jiu-jitsu. That's not true. The goal is not to defeat people and the goal is not to afford, avoid defeat. If you believe those to be true, then obviously I won't let someone mount me. And obviously I'm going to be fearful, uh, you know, engaging with somebody. But the truth is that whether it's a competition in a tournament or competition sparring in the gym or just, you know, training with friends, traveling the world, all these jiu-jitsu experience, the goal is to better understand the truth is that jiu-jitsu is here for us to better understand every single position mm. and to better understand ourselves in these positions and understand ourselves to see how we can take what we're learning and then apply it to everyday life. Mm. That is the truth. But the truth of avoiding submissions and and submitting people is too strong. That's being given too much power. Mm. When, you know, if you focus on those things, then you miss the bigger picture, which is, this is why you have guys that have been training for nine, 10 years who fight for their lives, not to get side mounted by me. How are you nine years in the game, 34 years old, and you're so uncomfortable on the bottom of the side mount? Do you understand? You're missing the boat. I'm not saying avoiding side mount techniques are not valuable. It's beautiful to have an amazing guard. Nobody can pass your guard. That's one part of it. But if me being side mounted on you causes you to panic for a minute and a half, yeah. then and you've been training for 10 years, like that is depressing. Because you have missed the boat. You, you, have, you have lost sight of what jiu-jitsu is about. Jiu-jitsu is about better understanding ourselves in every single position. Mm. And you can feel that energy from somebody when they're, when they're panicking. So like, you know, you know when, they, when you're experiencing that as, as the person you're grappling with. You know before you even land in the side mount, when you shake their hand, <laughs> you know. You yeah. know, in the first position, the first movement, you know that this person right here is not comfortable. Yeah. And they're not comfortable because they're preoccupied with two ideas. Mm. And one is the idea of, I have to submit this person. And the other one is I have to not get submitted. Yeah. Because those two things are so strongly programmed in your brain, mm. you're pretty much dead. Do you understand? In, in the jujitsu sense, your whole role is affected yeah. because you're living in a state of fear. Yeah. So preoccupied with the wrong mission. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. And then people today who can't do jujitsu, they can't train because of this whole, the virus. Yeah. They're like, they're in another state of fear. Yeah. Jujitsu is not going anywhere. It's going to be here for you in, two months one month seven months just be yeah. patient yeah don't worry about it it's not going anywhere if you love jujitsu it will wait for you but they're they're almost they're harming themselves they're, they're, it's crazy yeah they're, they're almost like putting themselves into a sense of panic like that, that's you know what are they missing out on it's like well you know I, I think for me like the I, I had that initial fear of like i mean i'm not gonna be able to uh you know, do jujitsu. I haven't had that experience in such a, a long time where I've had to be away from it. Um, and then within a couple of days, like there wasn't that feeling, but there was a sadness for me. And the sadness was like, I'm not getting to connect with my community. You know, like that, that's, 
that's the people that I'm around. Yes, which I guess it is something different. But even me, like I miss even just sharing with what I that which I know. So even me talking to you right now, yeah, it's not necessarily even the best thing for me because it's feeding me. Yeah, you see, me not talking to you would be better for my growth. Mm. Because it's not about jujitsu, right? You'd be trying to work on something else. Well, yeah, and I, I, well, I'm escaping. I'm escaping the difficulty of not being able to be doing jujitsu mm. in this call right here. Yeah. I'm using this, right? The same way I can go use an acai bowl later on today. Yeah. And then I'm just in my acai bowl and all of life ceases to exist. Yeah. And this goes for anybody. When it comes to work, any type of work, working on something, writing a document, you get lost in the document mm. or watching a movie, you know what I mean? Or alcohol, you get lost in these things because you have a hard time just simply being. I clean, do you understand? I love cleaning and organizing. Yeah. And Evandro the other day told me, he don't just clean for one hour a day. When I have a whole day at home sometimes, five, six, seven free hours, he's like, just do for one hour. Do it very, um, uh, what's the word, with uh, full consciousness. Uh, mm. Clean from a place of consciousness, not unconsciousness. Purposeful mm. cleaning. It was a great thing that Evandro said. And I'm like, okay, so now I just clean for an hour. So I walk by something, it's a little dirty sometimes, dishes in the sink, I just leave them. Yeah. Because that's me working on me. Yeah. I, I like I, I'm I thought about because I thought like how can I use this time effectively to work on me and I think I sometimes will use jujitsu as like a a mask for like I go and socialize but I'm not really socializing because mm -hmm. I'm putting myself in a position of leadership or as the teacher and yes. it's, it's false communication like yes. I'm not leaving myself vulnerable to have this conversation or share different ideas because it's not this back and forth a lot of the time a lot of times like yeah. here are my ideas you know and um i'm, I'm talking at people rather than talking with people yes. and so i feel like this this is a a device to to grow myself but within my comfort zone of like martial arts and that so yes. you know so don't feel so bad about it i understand <laughs> don't feel so bad about talking to me um I had uh, like two more questions, but there's one that I really want to ask. And um, it, it goes to, to this, like I have seen you and your brother be such a strong partnership, right? Which is something I find very interesting. Like, I grew up in the, the restaurant industry and like watched people unable to, to maintain a partnership. And I've grown up in the martial arts world and I've seen very few people be able to share uh, a martial arts school without it disintegrating at some point. And you guys work so well together where I always wondered like, how do you guys maintain that ability to grow each other without having that tension of, of, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know how to articulate it well, but just like, how do you guys not have that same thing that most people go through, which is a, a lack of ability to to be a partnership yeah i feel like the the key thing is that we both have a serious love for jujitsu the way that you know carlos gracie and eddie gracie and mm. just so many of these pioneers in the gracie family meant for jujitsu to be practiced this, this art of self-defense to empower the weak and everybody is weak right even the 220 pound you know athlete is the weak against somebody else yeah. we're all david's uh, in the sense of David and Goliath. So that common goal of giving this special art to the world, that is the glue. Mm. And, and we're very aware that so many people around the world also teach jujitsu, but it's, it's very easy to slip away. It's, it, even we sometimes, you know, have to remind ourselves to stay on the path yeah. of jujitsu for self-defense and really always look over to our grandfather and 
and our father and everybody who came before us, everybody who, you know, gave so much to empower so many people. So we had to kind of, oh, okay, hey, because we're so capable and, and still so young in many ways in terms of the jujitsu, in terms of on the mat performance. So that is the glue mm. that holds us all together. And then there, there, are, there are personality types, you know, and I have always felt like my whole life, I, I, I appreciate being a very simple person mm. and I, I don't want too much. And I'm realizing right now that I have way more than I need. Yeah. And the, this idea of simplifying my life and really tuning in to what matters, it's obviously, it's been happening with, with me for a while mm. and it's happening even more now during this coronavirus. And so be, because of that, my personality and Henner's personality is very much one of go forward and seize the moment in, in different ways. So the personalities work very well together in where, you know, if, if he has an idea, I, I'm, and, and I can look at it and not say, hey, you know, I have a better idea, mm. which, which is a personality of like, I want to be the one. Yeah. That I can look at it and say, wow, it's a good idea. Let's do it. Yeah. And, I can, and I can fall in and fall in line to some degree and say, I support that. Yeah. And, and I know that he sees me as somebody who in many ways is, is, very, is very grounded and very simple. Mm. So if he has an idea and I say, yeah, I like that, he, can, he sees that idea as like, okay, you know, this, this, I'm not asking for too much. Yeah. Right? This is a reasonable thing because... He owns a reasonable per a person, and he's also reasonable, of course. So there's, it, it just works together. I think the personality thing is a big deal. Yeah. And it's not uncommon in this world of jujitsu that when you get a black belt and you have students that are following you, there's a, this feeling of wanting to be the man. Mm. You want to be the man. And there is no doubt that every one of us has that yeah. right we want to feel a certain level of importance but maybe it's because i grew up always giving so much respect and credit to my grandfather for example mm. that i i never saw myself as being the man let him be the man yeah let my father be the man my father came to america you know what i mean look what my father did coming to america creating the ufc you know, co-creator of the UFC and building this empire of Gracie Academy. And he said, look, at, this guy is a monster. Look what he did. I don't, I don't got to be the man. Now, am I very responsible for continuing things and maintaining things? Yes. And even, even taking things to a, to a next level, which is a lot of what Hannah and I are doing with Gracie University. Yeah. But so, but I don't feel like this need to, to be the almighty and to mm. be the man. And I don't even think that Henner does either to, in many ways, right? He enjoys, if Henner wants to teach 10 million people if possible. Yes. I want to teach 10 million, but I'm only willing to do so much to reach 10 million. Yeah. He's willing to do a little bit more. Yeah. And while I'm available, I'm here to work with him. So if people want to learn, Henner wants to teach them. He yeah. wants to get them the information. Yeah. So long as you're asking for it, he's there to deliver it, which I believe most people who teach jujitsu have that mindset. If you want to learn, I'm here to teach. Yeah. But I'm also very aware of the fact that I could spend my whole life teaching jujitsu. Now, whether I'm teaching 30 people or 300, 3,000 or 300,000 people mm. in a year, it doesn't matter because... I'm teaching jujitsu because I love it, but there might be a day where I only teach 30 people jujitsu and I'm teaching 50% because I love helping them, but 50% because me teaching jujitsu is for my sanity. It's mm. for my health, right? Teaching jujitsu is way beyond making money. Teaching jujitsu is, is like medicine. Mm. Like there are people around the world who I'm sure have jobs. Maybe you own a company that, you know, does flooring, you know, let's just say. And once your company's in motion and you can be involved in the company only 10% and oversee it from the outside, 
why not start learning jujitsu? And it's a, it's a different feeling that the, the, the intrinsic value yeah. is like nothing else. So I don't care if you have, you know, you make a million dollars a year and you're very successful. You don't need to work. It's not even about work. Mm. You're giving people the, the power, the skills, the awareness that, to defend themselves, to live healthier lives, to make more you know, strategic decisions, to be more patient. How could you not want to give people these simple tools? And how far they take those things that you give them, that varies on many levels. So um, big, the, the final answer to your question is, is there's a certain energy, a certain personality between us which I think is very special. And I, I like to almost say that in many ways, I'm very um, open to anything. Mm. And Henner is full of ideas. Yes. So, so long as those, those ideas are in alignment with the big picture of sharing this beautiful art, we're going forward. How much do you think you influenced his personality? Like you see those, like you guys put out that video of like the, um, growing up Gracie or I can't remember what the pilot of the, the TV show was and there's that first like eight minutes where they're showing you guys as kids and uh, you know like you're throwing him on the ground and he starts crying and you know he's doing and Hannah talks about always being chasing after you um, at rolling you know like that it was like 10 to 1 and then 2 to 10 and then 3 to 10 and like you hear him talk like that and do you feel like having you as an older brother formed his personality or do you think he was just yeah. naturally like that well i think everybody forms everybody he even formed me you know what i'm saying everybody's always forming everybody because whoever is around you right these people are, are sharing your space mm. i'm watching my daughters form each other right now mm. and my daughters are forming my, my my wife and henry's sons i'm watching them you know fight each other and get mad at each other at one and four years old so it's inevitable and you know, I take pride in all his jujitsu, all his heart, <laughs> and all his technique and all his defensive skills, right? That I gave him such amazing defensive skills because I just, I could have not submitted him at all growing up. And then he would have no idea of how to defend my submissions. Mm. And when I say mine, I mean the submissions of so many people because arm locks and foot locks and triangles are just standard submissions. Yeah. But I tapped him out so many times, so many times, because I knew that eventually it would click and he would figure it out. That's not true. You gotta <laughs> be aware of that. You, when you tap somebody out, the more you tap somebody, if they stay with it, mm. that submission will cease to exist. It won't yeah. work anymore. Especially if they're younger than you are and you guys are 16, 14 years old. Now, if you're 37 and this person you're tapping is 52, they might never stop your submissions. Yeah. But be aware that the more you tap somebody out, if they stick with it, they will defend it. Now, if you tap them out a whole bunch, there's the risk that it defeats them, right? Mm -hmm. And mentally it breaks them. So be aware of that and be, gen be gentle and be, don't be generous, be gentle with your submissions yeah. because it can discourage somebody very easily. Yeah. So what was the last question? Um, well, the last one was... Uh... You can't, you can't touch on it, but um, I shall go to this one. This will be the last one. We had a question from like one of our, our friends who asked the question, like when you, when you start training, sometimes you start training with your significant other and you kind of like, you guys start the, the journey together, but one of the people drifts away from the art and like you're super passionate and they're not training anymore. And like, how do you motivate somebody to come back to the art? So I, I think it starts with understanding why they started the art in the first place. Mm. Why did your partner start jujitsu? Did they start because they felt guilty because you were doing it because you asked them? Mm. Did they start because they wanted to learn to defend themselves? They, were they, was it, they wanted to exercise? They wanted the community? What, why did they start in the first place? Sometimes why they started... <sighs> is not even why they think they started is not even why they started because i think at the bottom at the end of the day people are starting because they want the confidence mm. this is an art of self-defense yeah so once you know why they started and then maybe thinking looking at why they stopped 
and then did they did have a little injury? And the truth is, maybe it wasn't even that injury. Maybe they were just feeling like they weren't effective, but then they got injured and they used the injury as the excuse. Yeah. So I think that the most important thing is not to be in a hurry to re-motivate them and bring them back. If you rush, come on, come back and do it, come back and do it. People respond to that type of energy with, no, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And then after a while, their response almost becomes automatic. Mm. It's like, a, I don't want to, leave me alone, leave me alone. It starts to become almost annoying. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're almost like you're, you're pushing them further away. Yeah. By not doing your homework and having simple conversations about, hey, how was, was jujitsu for you, period. Mm. And, and letting them really express, but they have to feel safe to express. Because if they say, yeah, jujitsu was, you know, man, it was so challenging. You know, I was always getting tapped out. And you say, that's part of the jujitsu. Yeah. You know, you're kind of shutting down their, their, their experience and their feelings. So I'm, I'm guilty of this in, in other areas of life. But mm. if someone says, yeah, I, you know, I just kept getting submitted. You have to, my wife always reminds me that there's a certain validation that is necessary mm. when someone opens up about how difficult something was for them. Because you don't quit jujitsu because it was beautifully challenging and perfectly, you know, a perfect balance of fun and learning and all the beautiful things. It's not, you don't quit because of that. You quit because maybe you're overwhelmed with your other responsibilities in life mm. and you couldn't make time and you weren't progressing at a fast enough speed and you were comparing yourself to others and maybe you got injured and it's you know affecting your professional life who knows mm. so you know my wife's really brought to my attention as to how we have to allow that person's experience to truly be heard yeah and once you really really hear why your partner how it was for them and why they stopped. Maybe you could even touch what it was that made them want to try it in the first place. And did they reach that goal? Did they get that which they wanted when they started in the first place? See, all these type of talks will give you so much information. Mm. And then you come back and you say, okay, I, have a, I feel like we can do jujitsu like this. Mm. Because there are many ways to do jujitsu. Right? They can do a private class with you, with Robbie, yeah. once a week or once every other week. Let's mm -hmm. just say a child, for example, 13 years old, doesn't want to do it anymore. A private class once a month. A private class once every two weeks. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you right now, if a 13-year-old does a private class once every two weeks and you create a beautiful energy yeah. between that 13-year-old and the instructor, Robbie, for example, you do that for one year, okay? The relationship between you and that 13-year-old will be so special mm. that when the child hits 14, 14 and a half, a year and a half later, the, the child will trust you. And then you're going to suggest once a week. Yeah. And then it will hit a point where they start to feel empowered and mm. then you're going to say hey you want to help teach me help teach kids classes with me yeah. you're now 15. There, there's so many possibilities if we really care for the person mm. as to how we can bring them back to the mat so many uh, there's so many possibilities as to how it can turn out it's not like the person's done because they don't want to do it anymore you can do jujitsu with your own children at home or with your wife at home there's a video that Henner and Eve did about how to work with your spouse. Yeah. Right. There are things that you can learn about how to talk to your spouse and communicate with them and do jujitsu at home for mm. 10 minutes, you know, once a week, mm. 20 minutes, once a week. That's amazing. Yeah. And then when the time is right, you can reintroduce them back into the wild. If ever. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I really want to appreciate it. Um, you guys did the bullyproof seminar on the weekend and you told this amazing story about the frog. And um, my daughter, she was like, she's listening to it. And she's like, you said, talked about the stick. And she's like, oh no, like, why would that person here? And 
you ended it with like that, that beautiful summary of like jujitsu gave you the confidence to do something that you felt like there was a bigger kid and uncomfortable doing in that situation. But it was that first point where you felt like the power of jujitsu gave you that extra ability to talk. And yes. I wanted to thank you for sharing that because my daughter was listening to it. And I could see her like getting chuffed. Like when you're like jujitsu gave me, and she's like, I do jujitsu, man. I was like, it was yeah. the first time I've seen her go from going like I do jujitsu and hearing dad say jujitsu will give you confidence to then going, well, this other person said it and they've got this example and here it is. And she walked away with like her, her chest big and her head up. Like I do jujitsu too. Like I could stop that guy hurting the frogs. So yes. I just wanted to thank you for that because it was such a beautiful moment for me to have with my daughter to see oh, okay. that kind of revelation. You're welcome. Yeah. Everybody out there, when you, people, when you see injustice, mm. people, people feel, right? It's very natural to see something that's just, it's not right. And it gives you a feeling. And the question is, do you have the tools to say, no, I'm not going to stand for this. And jujitsu is one of those tools. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad she liked it. I'm glad you liked it. And we got to remember more stories of our childhood and stories, you know, of time with our grandfather. We should share some with our grandfather. We, we have so many, Henry and I, with him that we yeah. can share this following Saturday. It should be fun. It, it's, um, it's really important, right? Like, the, one of my favorite things to do is talk with, like, the older generation to get those stories. So I can mm -hmm. understand how to manage marriage and business and, and all these different things. And sometimes I forget that I'm the older generation for my daughter. So like yes. those stories from like my childhood and stuff, like she needs to hear those now because my dad was very much like that. He'd like he'd tell stories from like growing up in India and growing up in poverty and growing up traveling and, and having to like forge himself and so forth. And I reflect on those so much, but he did it at such a young age that it was just always something that yeah. was always in my, in my mind. Maybe, maybe parents don't usually tell the stories because parents are out working, trying yeah. to produce, produce, produce grandparents traditionally I, I from my experience from what i've seen are willing to tell more stories because they have more time mm. so but us as parents you are right that we have amazing stories and experiences that we can tell and all we have to do is step away from investing in let's say our bank account yeah for 20 minutes or an hour and invest in your child account for 20 minutes or an hour a day an hour a day with your child, full investment. Oh my gosh. The return right there, the return is crazy. That's it's like you were saying about jujitsu with your spouse, right? Like if you put 10 minutes in a week to start with and teach your kid these stories and then over oh. a half an hour and then it's daily and then, and then they just want yeah. to tell your stories, right? It's the same, exact same energy you got to bring. Yeah. It's crazy. 10 minutes a day. And you have those conversations about jujitsu that yeah. I talked about, meaning like, why did you get started? How was it for you? Massage her feet while you're doing that. <laughs> and then it's like double, double. You guys, it's just unlimited techniques. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. I appreciate, really appreciate you. Thanks for doing this. Where is it?